0: You're listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is a replay from the virtual live broadcast series titled Women's Health 2020 Beyond the Annual Visit, provided by Omnia Education. Before beginning this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello. This is Dr. David Portman. I'm the Director Emeritus of the Columbus Center for Women's Health Research and an adjunct instructor of OBGYN at The Ohio State University. Thank you for joining me on Changing Landscape of Contraceptive Trials, uh, Recent Approvals, and Future Directions. These are my disclosures. What I'd like to cover uh, in the time we have today is to review current contraceptive options, unmet needs in contraception, and some recent approvals. Identify information that will overcome the most common misperceptions that clinicians may have regarding contraceptive patches, particularly the recently approved contraceptive patch and other non long acting reversible contraceptive methods. I'll also, explain some of the advantages and drawbacks of contraceptive patches and non LARC methods, and discuss the scientific data underlying typical and perfect use in clinical trials, as well as the Creeping Pearl Index, which I published on which has been demonstrated in contemporary clinical trials of contraception. I've dedicated a great part of my uh, career to contraceptive and women's health research and uh, look forward to sharing some of my thoughts uh, on this uh, very interesting uh, topic. It's something that really affects every woman, since nearly all women will use contraception at some point in their lifetime. Uh, And women not only weigh various uh, factors such as effectiveness, uh, but also other uh, factors such as dose- hormonal versus non-hormonal methods, uh, including non-contraceptive benefits, uh, route of delivery and level of invasiveness, as well as frequency of administration. Uh, We certainly know that no single method is right for all women, and choices vary, and women uh, switch methods often uh, within the same year uh, and certainly during their lifetime of contracepting. What we do know is that there's still a very high unintended pregnancy rate here in the US, with nearly half of all pregnancies uh, being unintended. Um, What we uh, do know is that largely this uh, is because of inconsistent use. So the more a a woman can choose the method that's right for her, the more likely she will use it consistently. Uh, Non-use also contributes greatly uh, to the uh, unwanted and unintended pregnancy rates. Um, so that we can certainly do better. We often think of contraceptive uh, effectiveness uh, based on tiers. Uh, in uh, this particular uh, figure, which is uh, part of the contraceptive technology publication, uh, it shows uh, more effective uh, on a continuum of um, both tier one being the most effective, uh, and then no birth control, uh, clearly the least effective. Uh, Breaking this down into tiers, I think, is uh, most meaningful to patients because they do look at at these uh, treatments as categories rather than individual types of methods. And as I mentioned, they'll be switching from method to method, often even during the same Um, cycle uh, using backup methods such as condoms uh, or uh, morning-after pills, even uh, though they might be using a Tier 2 method. Uh, Tier 1 clearly are the most effective, uh, but also the most invasive uh, and often uh, irreversible. Uh, So patients really do need a a variety of choices, uh, and the tier system does uh, make this quite understandable uh, to, to patients. We've seen many, many uh, pills approved in the last several decades, Uh, and interestingly, even though there's a variety of uh, ways of delivering the pill, it's still a daily method requiring daily pill taking, and as you see uh, in this survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, that between 2002 and 2015 and 17, there's actually been a decline in uh, women using the pill as their primary method of contraception, as well as sterilization. Uh, and condom use, uh, and that's greatly attributed to an increase in intrauterine uh, devices being used, which is a huge advancement uh, in uh, encouraging LARC uh, and should be commended given that these are some of the most effective methods. Uh, But given that the majority of patients choose uh, combined hormone contraception, uh, we do need to do better in uh, creating greater optionality uh, with that particular uh, method. Some of the research that I've been involved in over the last uh, decade uh, or two uh, has largely been on modifying uh, the way that pills are taken, uh, either going from a 21-7 to a 24-4 or continuous uh, 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 combined hormone contraception to reduce the number of cycles. And as you saw in the previous slide, this hasn't really increased the uptake uh, in uh, pill use. Uh, And that could largely be due to um, the increase in IUD use, but also uh, to non-use. Still 10% of women are not using any method at all, uh, which contributes to the very large rates of unintended pregnancy. Uh, The two most recent innovations in combined hormone contraception uh, have been a uh, monthly uh, reusable vaginal ring as well as a weekly patch. And this was much needed given that the... uh, The previous uh, ring and patch approvals uh, were close to two decades ago. Uh, So it's really exciting to have a couple of new uh, options to discuss with you today, as well as uh, some others uh, and uh, the methodologies that have changed in contraceptive research. Well, why why transdermal drug delivery? Uh, There are some uh, advantages in that it offers controlled release Uh, dosage forms that can offer potential to reduce incidence and severity of side effects. You avoid some of the fluctuations of peaks and troughs uh, of the drug that we see with oral delivery. It also avoids reduced bioavailability with oral administration, Uh, and uh, it may uh, be desirable to women who have difficulty or avoid taking oral medication. Uh, In some surveys, uh, there is uh, a significant a burden in taking a daily pill. Uh, it only works if you can take it within that 24-hour time frame. Uh, and 49% of contraceptive users prefer non-daily methods when, when surveyed, uh, and close to half are frustrated with taking uh, pills daily. Often, uh, patients miss one or two pills during their uh, cycle, and uh, this leads to uh, the big difference between uh, perfect and typical use, which we'll be discussing. Well, what about uh, patient preference? Um, given that the, uh, the first patches and rings were approved in 2002, uh, this figure shows that there was great interest uh, in a non-daily, non-oral uh, method, uh, given that one out of 10 women uh, used the uh, original contraceptive patch uh, in its first few years of launch. Uh, But as you can see, there was a significant decline uh, when uh, VTE rates uh, were noted to potentially be increased with uh, the uh, first contraceptive patch, uh, which was noted to have higher estrogen exposure than originally um, uh, thought. Uh, With the decline in the use of the patch, uh, the uh, ring uh, picked up uh, market uh, share and patient preference, Uh, and uh, as you can see, currently uh, very few patients uh, are using uh, the uh, Zulane patch, which is currently available, was uh, um, until now the only available method, uh, which did have significant uh, higher doses of estrogen and a different side effect profile. What we see here in this slide is uh, a comparison uh, of the uh, originally launched patch uh, and the area under the curve and steady state concentration compared to a daily pill. You see that the daily pill uh, gives you peaks and troughs, and this uh, can lead to some withdrawal symptomatology and side effects that some patients have uh, with uh, pills. And the smoother uh, concentration uh, that patches deliver uh, is – is a a huge advantage for some uh, women. However, um, what was noted here is that uh, the uh, original patch delivered close to 60% higher concentration of ethinyl estradiol uh, than a uh, 30 microgram uh, pill. So essentially, patients were getting a 50 to 60 microgram product Uh, which none of us are really prescribing at all any longer. Uh, We've pushed the estradiol dose down uh, to as low a dose as uh, uh, possible for contraceptive and cycle control uh, and helped with the side effect profile. And in fact, this patch did exactly the opposite in delivering higher doses of estrogen uh, with high rates uh, of headache and nausea and breast tenderness as well as uh, studies that did seem to indicate in a label uh, that, uh, that uh, proposed higher rates of venous thromboembolism. That's why a new patch was clearly uh, warranted. Uh, and here you see a very similar, although a different study uh, looking at the PK properties of Manu, uh, ethinyl, estradiol, levonogestral patch, Uh, which uh, delivers um, estrogen and uh, a very um, tried-and-true progestin levonorgestrel through the skin using an active matrix uh, and a a patch that uh, has an adhesive ring around uh, the um, entire edge, uh, and drug doesn't go all the way up to the edge where you may get uh, partial peeling and uh, less drug delivery, uh, as well as uh, uh, accumulation uh, of dirt and lint. So uh, this is an advancement both in uh, technology as well as you see in the delivery of a lower dose of ethinyl estradiol. Uh, as you can see that as opposed to uh, having uh, excessive exposure of estrogen, uh, this delivers uh, amount similar to a 30-microgram pill. So for the first time, we do now have a, a low-dose transdermal a contraceptive delivery system as an option for, for patients. The SECURE trial, which led to the approval of uh, of twirla in February of 2020, was a unique trial, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be uh, an advisor and a principal investigator for this trial, which did follow some of the newer FDA guidance, and that is uh, enrolling patients uh, that look like the U.S. population. Uh, Patients uh, from a variety of ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds, no restrictions on BMI, uh, patients that were documented to be uh, sexually active and having intercourse uh, during each cycle and excluding those cycles uh, where uh, there was no activity. Uh, And as you can see in this uh, graphic, uh, TWIRL is really uh, a study that combined all of these factors. And as we'll um, note uh, later in the presentation, this does have an impact on the... uh, efficacy rates in contraceptive trials and this should be no surprise that uh, in uh, capturing more pregnancies more sexual activity excluding cycles that you are going to drive the pearl index higher uh, what's important to uh, do is to put this in perspective and context of all the different options that patients need to have available to them to make uh, the right decision so here is the, um, the population uh, in the SECURE trial. Uh, over 35% of the patients had obesity. Considering uh, patients with high BMI, greater than 30, have often been excluded from contraceptive trials, this was a very unique trial given uh, the uh, represent, representative population uh, mirroring that of the U.S., unfortunately, with rising obesity rates. Uh, this is a, a question that uh, clinicians and patients need to address, and now we finally have some prospective data uh, to, uh, to address that. We have uh, also uh, in this trial enrolled uh, over 25 percent of women of color, uh, and they've also Uh, been underrepresented in clinical trials. Often uh, trials were based on European populations uh, and uh, did not have the kind of diversity that uh, we have in in the uh, U.S., so, the overall Pearl index uh, in the secure trial was 5.8. Um, and uh, it's very clear that there was a uh, discordance between uh, normal weight uh, B, uh, Pearl of 3.46 uh, compared to overweight women with a BMI between 25 and 30, with a Pearl of 5.69, and an even higher Pearl in those patients who are obese uh, who are uh, contraindicated uh, with this particular uh, product. Uh, it should be no surprise, though, that um, that we do see this variance in uh, BMI. This is something that's been identified with uh, oral contraception, as well as the original patch that was approved. And recently, the FDA has done a meta-analysis to show this trend. Uh, to break this down into effectiveness, uh, which is a much more um, reliable uh, and um uh, metric that patients can understand. A, a Pearl index, uh, which we'll discuss, uh, can go from zero to uh, 1,200 or 1,300. Uh, the lower the number, the, the more effective the uh, contraceptive is. Uh, but you'll see that the, the denominator and the way that uh, pregnancies are measured often uh, can either falsely uh, decrease or elevate, in, uh, elevate the uh, Pearl index. But it's very clear that uh, in uh, normal weight patients, uh, the patch is highly effective, 97% effective, even 95% effective in those uh, who are slightly overweight, and still 93% effective in the obese population, which I mentioned is contraindicated for this patch, as well as uh, the previous patch where the majority of pregnancies were seen uh, in patients uh, who were overweight, This is the meta-analysis that I mentioned that the FDA uh, looked at to show that um, that the uh, uh, risk of of weight uh, is uh, significant uh, in increasing contraceptive failure uh, with the top trial, which had no restriction on weight, a desigestrel EE uh, pill uh, that uh, had a nearly two-and-a-half-fold greater risk for uh, pregnancy uh, in patients uh, with higher BMI. Uh, so not a big surprise to see a similar increase in the hazard ratio uh, with the, in the secure patch study. So that 97% versus 93% effectiveness uh, roughly mirrors this um, uh, meta-analysis uh, showing an increased risk with uh, BMI. Whether or not this is uh, due to volume of distribution, drug metabolism, or uh, compliance issues uh, is still something that requires further research what's important to patients in addition to uh effectiveness uh, which i mentioned are other uh issues such as convenience uh once uh once weekly application versus once daily pill taking uh there was a, a small rate of uh uh site reactions uh, largely irritation or itching Uh, in 6% of uh, patients. But what was really uh, very impressive was the low rates of headache uh, and breast tenderness that was seen in this trial compared uh, to uh, the previous patch approvals with its higher exposure to estrogen and those estrogen-related side effects. So it's hoped that uh, patients can uh, make an informed decision based on uh, drug delivery, tolerability, uh, and other benefits in addition to effectiveness, which is, is clearly very important. Uh, one of the, the key uh, issues, safety issues that we know are associated with all combined hormone contraception is the rate of VTE. And one of the reasons why uh, the uh, new contraceptive patch was contraindicated in patients with a BMI of over 30 uh, was that all of the VTEs were uh, seen in that particular subpopulation. There were no uh, clots, um, either uh, pulmonary emboli or deep vein thrombosis in uh, normal or even overweight patients and it was limited to those with obesity. Uh, this should come as no surprise as that uh, Stein published data uh, showing that obesity is an independent risk factor, as we all know, for uh, DVT and uh, PE, uh, and particularly in the age group under uh, 40, uh, which are the contraceptive patients enrolled in these trials who had a, a nearly five-fold greater rate of um, DVT um, compared to uh, patients of uh, normal weight. Uh, so What is really a benefit in the uh, SECURE trial is that we now have prospective data that give us an idea uh, that uh, this is a true effect, Uh, patients should be counseled accordingly, and those patients over BMI of 30 may benefit from uh, non-hormonal contraception given the overall benefit-risk profile. Uh, there is a large uh, prospective uh, post approval study, uh, both for this and some of the other newer products, looking at uh, real world evidence and the rates of uh, VTE uh, in patients of all BMI. What I'd like to do now is uh, put some of the uh, new contraceptive trial design and uh, Pearl Index into context uh, and try to differentiate between what we call efficacy in clinical trials. And effectiveness uh, in the real world. Uh, and I published uh, with the late James Trussell a paper called The Creeping Pearl, where we append the um, this term, uh, which seemed to identify a trend in contraceptive trials uh, that show ever-increasing rates of, um, of pearl indices. And I think there's some good explanations for this uh, in that uh, in the real world, uh, patients contracept very differently uh, and pregnancy uh, rates are captured differently. And here you see in contraceptive technology's most recent addition uh, uh, that uh, the the gap between perfect use in clinical trials of uh, 0.2 and 0.3 and um, in the use of combined hormone contraception versus the uh, typical use seen in, um, in surveys uh, such as the National Survey for Family Growth are closer to 7 to 8%. Uh, so how could there be this disconnect, and uh, can we really tell patients uh, in good conscience that combined hormone contraception is 99% effective, when we do know that in the real world uh, it's much closer to uh, 90, 93 to to 95% effective? So I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the uh, challenges of the Pearl Index. Uh, And in a FDA advisory committee in 2007, it was thought that maybe the Pearl Index would go the way of history and life table analyses and Kaplan-Meier survival curves would be a much better indicator of true pregnancy uh, risk. The problem with the Pearl Index is it's highly susceptible to the denominator uh, in that the more cycles you have, the lower and lower you can drive the Pearl Index. So uh, a very long trial. Uh, with an infinite number of cycles, you could drive that Pearl index down to close to zero. Uh, so duration of trial is is quite important, as well as the number of pregnancies that you identify such as uh, using very sensitive uh, pregnancy tests on routine visits, which are not done in the real world. Also enrolling uh, patients uh, that are much more highly motivated uh, in contraceptives, such as nulliparous patients uh, and um, uh, patients from different socioeconomic backgrounds can greatly influence uh, the PEARL index. Uh, And in fact, uh, the historical trials that had these very low PEARL indices uh, enrolled women uh, from European sites, uh, and we've seen a huge differential between uh, pregnancy rates and clinical trials among uh, EU versus U.S. sites, restricting enrollment uh, based on BMI, uh, as we've shown, can uh, greatly influence pregnancy rates. Uh, recruiting more affluent and educated women, uh, not requiring anticipated or recorded sexual activity, uh, and also not accounting uh, for that lack of sexual activity, all drive uh, and create ungeneralizable results uh, and this gap between clinical trial effect efficacy and actual real-world effectiveness. And that's exactly the opposite of what we've seen in more modern trials, uh, which we've referred to as the creeping pearl, which has uh, largely limited enrollment uh, to registration and approval to uh, women in the U.S., Uh, fewer to no restrictions on uh, weight or BMI, again, driving up uh, the pearl index, uh, as well as uh, removing uh, cycles that uh, were not uh, documented to have sexual activity uh, removing cycles where backup methods were used and doing more frequent pregnancy testing. Uh, so it's very clear that these more inclusive and representative populations are going to give us higher Pearl indices, but it also gives us a much more real world effectiveness view uh, of how these drugs may, in fact, work uh, in the real world. Uh, this is just uh, an illustration of how this has evolved over time, uh, and these are the Pearl indices from initial FDA registration studies, uh, showing a clear trend towards increases in later trials with those very same uh, contraception. Um, so, for instance, if we look at uh, Levlite and uh, and Nordet, uh, for example, uh, the original approval trials uh, had Pearl indices in the uh, 0.3 to 0.5 range, uh, and then uh, de- several decades later, that's those self same uh, drugs uh, as uh, active controls had Pearl indices of 3.7 to 4.4. Uh, it's very clear that the same compound did not have a tenfold higher Pearl index. Uh, and uh, these are largely due to uh, being more inclusive trials uh, and all of the factors that I discussed earlier that tend to, to drive the Pearl index up uh, in more modern contraceptive trials. And in fact, the most recent approvals, uh, if you look at uh, this table, uh, show Pearl indices uh, in the three to uh, six range. Rather than in the uh, below one range uh, that we saw in uh, trials from the uh, 70s and 80s, and in fact uh, for these uh, three pills that I've just uh, shown examples of, uh, the Pearl Index is no longer reported in the in the package inserts, uh, given this variance from earlier trials to later. Uh, And I think it's very important that we don't assume that some of the earlier contraceptives are more effective. Uh, In fact, it's just simply uh, due to trial design and the evolution uh, of those trials uh, in uh, modern days. A good example of this uh, is the recently approved Anovera um, Suggesterone Acetate EE ring, Uh, which is a, uh, a, has a year of use, but uh, is uh, removed uh, each month. Uh, And these are some of the factors that may impact Pearl Index, which I think uh, mirror some of those that I've discussed earlier. The overall Pearl Index for the ring was 2.98, and uh, it was most effective in um, uh, the more educated Uh, And uh, more compliant users with a a 2.1 Pearl index, and those who uh, left the ring in um, according to um, protocol. Those who uh, the ring was removed for longer than the two hour period, the Pearl uh, shot up to 5.89. Younger patients uh, between 18 and 19 had a very high pearl of eight uh, compared to uh, older women, compared to more educated women. And even socioeconomic factors such as U.S. versus European uh, and uh, nulliparous versus Paris women and Hispanic versus non-Hispanic women, all uh, factors that we've seen in other studies that can drive up the pearl clearly uh, reflect uh, patient demographics uh, rather than uh, contraceptive efficacy. Uh, So I think that these are important factors to take into account when you're counseling patients, because in the end, uh, as we've mentioned, it's not just uh, efficacy and effectiveness, but it's a variety of convenience and uh, administrative uh, issues that patients will take into consideration. That's why I think that using the kaplan meyer method versus the Pearl Index makes a lot more sense, although I don't think the PEARL index is going away anytime soon. Uh, As I've mentioned, the PEARL index assumes uh, a risk of pregnancy is the same or constant over time, and this can be very misleading since much of the contraceptive failure occurs earlier in a trial, and if the longer you run the trial, you can drive that towards zero. Uh, And uh, given that most subjects are likely to become pregnant earlier you get an attrition of these susceptibles, uh, and uh, and therefore um, a an artificial uh, pearl in many uh, settings. The Kaplan-Meyer method uh, is more of a cumulative uh, failure rate, uh, and and can account for any duration of exposure. You can correct it for. Um, Uh, discontinuation or additional contraceptives being used. And it gives you a a nice estimate of clinically relevant uh, importance, which is a probability of failure over a specified number of uh, years or time, rather than uh, the average that you get from uh, the Pearl Index, which is largely uh, confined to uh, a year of use of a hormone contraception. Uh, and uh, just to summarize how these, uh, these uh, evolution of clinical trials has impacted uh, Pearl indices, uh, I've, re- I've recently um, collaborated with some of my colleagues on a uh, analysis of the literature between 2007 and 2019 when the FDA and its advisory committee uh, really did suggest using different inclusion criteria. Uh, and, as you can see, the uh, the studies of combined oral contraception uh, in the more modern period. Uh, five of those reviewed had a pearl index ranging from uh, one point six to three uh, compared to the ten that we reviewed prior to that, which had those low pearl indices below one point uh, five to to one point three so uh, nearly doubling uh, of the pearl index uh, in the the last decade or so, given the changes that we've seen in trial design. The PAP studies, uh, which uh, as I described have been much more inclusive. Um, would uh, clearly have a higher pearl, and we confirm that as well. Uh, an interesting uh, new uh, product, which I want to just mention briefly, is a contraceptive vaginal gel pH modifier with a cumulative pregnancy rate of 13.7 using a Kaplan Meyer uh, assessment, uh, which uh, I think is a, a fair way to look at uh, an on demand contraception. So, very briefly, um, Uh, The uh, contraceptive vaginal gel is an acid buffering uh, gel, which maintains uh, acidic vaginal environment, even in the presence of semen, and is highly bioadhesive, creating a barrier over the uh, vagina and cervical surfaces, uh, and uh, offers patients, in addition, some potential protection against sexually transmitted infections, although this does need to be confirmed uh, in phase three clinical trials. But very uh, reassuringly, a phase 2B study demonstrated a 50% reduction in uh, chlamydial infections and an 80% reduction uh, in GC infections. Uh, So here you have an on-demand contraceptive that uh, the female uh, can uh, use uh, and and certainly gives her uh, great flexibility. Uh, and uh, offers uh, some contraceptive efficacy as well, here you see the cumulative pregnancy rate of thirteen point seven. But if you applied the pearl index uh, definitions uh, by using the number of cycles uh, and uh, basing it on the the challenges of the denominator uh, which i 've discussed, uh, you would get a very unreasonable pearl of twenty seven Uh, So uh, that in in and of itself may um, cause some clinicians to uh, move away from a a novel therapy. But I think it's important to look at this into another context in that uh, of the 100 pregnancies occurred uh, in the 24,000 plus acts of intercourse, uh, there was a cumulative rate of 13.7 or roughly a 0.4% pregnancy rate per act of vaginal intercourse. Uh, so patients may find this highly effective uh, based on episodic use, p- particularly given the additional benefits of uh, uh, potentially reducing uh, STI transmission. And if we use the life table analysis in a similar way, you can see that uh, the um, the twirla patch uh, from the SECURE trial also shows considerable uh, effectiveness over the course of the uh, the year of use. Uh, And you can also see from the life table analysis, the slope uh, decreasing in that second half of the year, um, which does um, tell us that there is a learning curve and that as patients get more comfortable with this method, uh, they may get more uh, efficacy. Uh, But clearly, uh, patients in the overall population with uh, 95% effectiveness uh, and in the non-obese close to 97% effectiveness uh, offers patients a a reliable uh, and uh, highly efficacious uh, opportunity for a non-daily, non-oral method. So to summarize, if we look again at the tiers of options, uh, we know that the tier one uh, LARC methods and sterilization are the most effective, but not necessarily uh, what all patients want uh, because of the challenges with the invasiveness, uh, procedures, and irreversibility. Um, the Tier 2 are the, uh, some of the most popular uh, because of the independence uh, and discretion that patients have uh, with a effectiveness rates in the 4 to 7% uh, range. Uh, um, with um, and the uh, tier three, as we've mentioned, with the most recent uh, pH modifier uh, with uh, pregnancy rates of about 13 uh, over the course of uh, the, the, its use. We have to put this into context uh, given that no birth control leads to about 85% of patients getting pregnant during the course of the year. Uh, the best method is going to be that of the patient's choosing. And hopefully, with some of the newer options available uh, and putting this into the context of efficacy and effectiveness, patients can make that informed choice. So to summarize, uh, diverse populations really need a wide range of contraceptive options to meet those diverse needs. We need accurate, generalizable information from inclusive clinical trials, and I think that the trends that we've seen recently are very positive in that the, uh, the women who are being enrolled in U.S. trials really look like the patients that we're treating, and it offers us very informative labels uh, that can we can clearly outline risks and benefits to our patients. But I think it is important, and I uh, stress this, that we should realize the impact of modern trial design on these rates of efficacy that we're seeing in in trials, as well as effectiveness uh, endpoints in the real world. Uh, The most effective method is clearly going to fit a woman's lifestyle, and she may switch from method to method even in the same month. She wants an acceptable side effect and risk profile uh, and a uh, preferred route of administration. Uh, So really to summarize, I think that the wide variety of choices in all the tiers that we offer to women are going to provide couples with the greatest opportunity for successful contraception. It's going to help close the gap between efficacy and clinical trials and effectiveness in the real world and ultimately optimize reproductive health goals. Thank you for your attention. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com Omnia. Thank you for listening.